0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Exodus, chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, read verses uh, 6, 7, and 8. It's God the Father speaking, saying, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land, unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. We started Wednesday night in our Bible study going through Exodus. and So we looked at the first five chapters. And so, if y'all were here, you may remember me mentioning when we got to this verse, like, man, there's a sermon in that one. And there is. <laughs> and while we refrain from going into that Wednesday night, that's what we're gonna try and explore uh, this morning. Alright, context. Moses is being spoken to here by God the Father out of the burning bush. Right, God's God is speaking. Um and he sees, you know, the appearance of this flame on this dry twiggy bush. Um a flame, right? And this flame is not consuming the bush, and it's described as that being the angel of the Lord that he is seeing, right? And God is speaking to him. Now, how do we get here? Where 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 did Moses come into play? How did the children get into Egypt? Go back to God visiting Abraham. Right? Back in Genesis chapter 15, before the child of promise. It turned out to be Isaac, was born, the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And this is right after he had defeated those kings who had captured Lot. Right? After these things, um, the Lord came to Abraham in a vision and, and told him, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram, at this time, his name hadn't been changed yet, was asking, you know, you know, what will you give me? Seeing I don't have an heir yet, you know, my heir is going to be this this slave who's been born into my household, his steward, Eleazar. And he takes him outside. And he tells him to look up at the stars, and says, "There's going to come forth from his own bowels the number as at the stars. So if you can tell that number, but some can count them, um, that's how many children I have." And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. A little bit later, um, Abram is going to uh, be given instructions on how there's going to be a covenant made between him and God. They're going to take these animals and they're going to slice them in half and they're going to pass, at least normally the covenant would be the people making the covenant would pass in between the pieces. Um, And so it's during this piece where he is falling asleep that God... Tells Abraham what's going to happen to his his descendants in the future. It's down in verse 13. He says, "Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for four hundred years." It doesn't necessarily mean that the affliction is occurring for four hundred years, but they're going to be a stranger there for at least four hundred years. And they'll be serving and afflicted. And also that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge. And afterwards they shall come out with great substance. I'm in Genesis 15, down in verse 14 now. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So that was the vision that Abraham had, that God told him what was going to happen. You're going to have descendants. He hadn't had his first child through his wife yet. He had not had one. Not the one promise. And he's not going to have that one until he's over. Uh, he's 100 years old. Here's your first uh, legitimate boy. The boy of miracles. Right? Isaac. But you're going to have so many. That it's going to be like the number of the saints. By the sea and stars in heaven. It's an innumerable hosts over down through the years. And they're going to go be a stranger, and they're going to be in this land for 400 years, and it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Now, Abram had been a sojourner in other lands. Um, He'd already been down to Egypt, um, and he goes to the Philistine lands, and but he's treated very well. God protected him. He didn't allow bad things to happen to him. Um, Same thing during Isaac's life. Now, Isaac was not permitted to go down to Egypt. The time for that those 400 years had not started yet, and so he was told, you, don't go down to Egypt. And so he winds up um, sojourning, I believe, in the Philistine land. And so your first descendant who's going to go back to Egypt after this is Joseph. And by my math, it's about 167 years later that Joseph would be the first descendant of Abraham who would go into Egypt. And you all know the story of Joseph. He was got there not by choice. His brothers with very wicked intent had sold him into slavery and though they meant it for ill because they hated him they were jealous of him he was dad's favorite Um, the Lord used Joseph to preserve all their lives the famine got so bad that these men were willing to travel to another country to find food y'all ever experienced that? I sure haven't y'all get annoyed when the grocery store doesn't have your favorite item what do you do? go to another store, right? We got a little grumpy when we couldn't find as much toilet paper as we wanted, but guess what? We wouldn't have starved to death. (laughs) We've never experienced that. Can you imagine having to commute to like Mexico to get some food so your family doesn't starve to death? And there were no cars for airplanes. Bingo, right? Much harder trip. That's the magnitude of how bad this famine was. All right? you're, you're leaving your own land and you're going and looking for land so your, your family, your household, and they had a large household, um, doesn't die. Okay, But God had already prepared a way that they were going to be preserved and sustained by putting Joseph down there. Through all the trial, I mean, he was a slave. He was wrongfully cast in jail. I mean, he had all these years of going through hardship, and yet the Lord had used that in exactly the way he intended to start fulfilling this promise to Abraham that your family is going to be a stranger in a land. And it started off really good. They were welcomed, honored guests. Joseph rose up to be number two over the whole country. Right, Other than Pharaoh's title and power, I mean, he was over everybody else because he had been able to interpret. God had told him what Pharaoh's dream was going to mean. You're going to have seven great years of plenty. We better stock up. And you're going to have seven years of absolutely awful. And because of that, they were able to have enough corn... Um, and food to to survive, um, and so that's how Jacob and all of his other sons wind up in uh, the land of Egypt. And again, when they first got there, they were they were honored guests. They were given this great land, Goshen. good land, good for their cattle. Um, they were kind of the welcome guests of Pharaoh. And then you get over in Exodus chapter um, one and down in verse six, and says, and then Joseph died. He lived. A good chunk of ages. All right, he was, I think, 110. All right, when he went there at 17, so between 17 and 110, he's got now 93 years in Egypt. All right? And then after that, all of his other brothers and all of his other brothers and all that generation, they died off too. Okay, so what happens with their descendants? They multiply. Right? How do you get to the number of the sand of the sea and the number of stars? You have little babies. <laughs> all right, That's, there's no two ways about it. It says they multiplied and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. There was a bunch of them. And they were they were strong. There was so much so that eventually there rose up a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph, either directly or by reputation. He didn't care. Okay? All he sees is there's a bunch of folks in our country who are not Egyptian and they're breeding like rabbits, and they're strong. We're afraid that if there comes wartime, they're going to raise up against us. And so it'll be like having enemies without and enemies within, and so we're going to have to do something about this. We need to put them under our thumb and make sure that they're um, secured, so to speak, so they don't get too strong and become this threat. And so that's how they started this dealing uh, wisely. It's how I said, let's deal wisely with them. Let's, let's give them some taskmasters. Let's give them some burdens. give them some chores. Um and they started off, and it and it was kind of a tier where it started off kind of, kind of light, if you will. You got to build these treasure cities, but it says the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, it became more and more and more, and they were already described as more and mightier than we. Can you imagine that You're in the land of Egypt, and these sojourners here, there's now more of them, and they're stronger than us, and we're going to start squishing them down, and then they grow, they grow more and more and more, all right? And so it got worse. Alright. They gave them more burdens, more tasks. They made them serve with rigor. Um, it was it was oppressive. Right? They were it was a bitter, hard bondage. This is the language of the scripture. I mean, this is bad with, with mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field, they're, they're they're putting them to task. They're, you know, trying to reduce them down and it ain't working. All right. The harder they're squishing on them, the more they're producing, all right? The more they're growing. You get to kind of the next level of affliction that comes is that he tells midwives, you know, their job is to safely deliver babies. And the Pharaoh calls the two Hebrew midwives and says, here's your job. If it's a girl, you can safely deliver her. But if it's a boy, I want you to wring his neck. right? Kill him. However you're instructed to do that, he didn't specifically say, but to kill the boys. right? We don't want any more male soldiers, basically, to be in this this Hebrew group. We don't want to be mighty. Um, And we know that the midwives disobeyed him. Um, they, they, They feared God, and so they were more willing to obey God than man when it was this you know, clear contradiction of what God would have. Um, they're not going to murder these children. And so they, they wind up lying to Pharaoh. said, well, you know, when he comes asking why have you done this, well, you know, Hebrew ladies, they're not like you kind of soft Egyptian ladies. You know, they don't even need a bed wife. By the time we get there, they've already had the baby. What do you want me to do? Right? And the Lord dealt well with them. And then it gets to this kind of final heavy tear that's re- related where Pharaoh says, all right, all my people you see any sons of these Hebrews, you pick up that baby and you chunk him in a river. All right? that's, that's how bad it had gotten. That's the point that Moses was born. It was during that stage. All right? Moses was born and his parents saw that he was a goodly child. And so they hid him. They were able to hide him for three months so that no one had found him, no one had picked him up and chunked him in the river. But it got to the point where they couldn't hide him anymore. And so his mother um, technically complies with the king's edict. Right? He says, put your babies in the river. Well she did. But she built a boat for us, right? Built an ark, she she weaved a basket of some sort, and she, you know, made it watertight or whatever, and she set it in the edge of the river, among the reeds. Right? You see the movie Prince of Egypt, and he's all out floating in the middle of the river. It doesn't say that. But she put him in the reeds, the flags. And that's the same spot that Pharaoh's um, daughter would see. Um, Pharaoh's daughter would come down to wash herself, and she'd see this thing. And, you know, his older sister Miriam's over here in the bushes over here watching to see what would happen to him. And Pharaoh's daughter picks him up, you know, sends her servant to go pick him up, and she looks, and she knows what it is. She knows this is a child who is condemned to death. But she has compassion on this little child sister pops up says hey you want to you want me to find you a nurse for that particular child i mean you know pharaoh's daughter can't breastfeed the child it's only three months old she says yeah that'd be great so he goes and gets moses's mama and she gets instructions here feed this child and i'll pay you for it so pharaoh pharaoh's daughter was able to provide for that child and by using the own mother i mean the lord worked out the preservation of moses right there was a blanket edict for every male at that point to die but he was spared and he was spared and he was able to be preserved um, and he was able to be cared for by his own mother until he was weaned. And then he went back to Pharaoh's daughter and he became Pharaoh's grandson, essentially. He was welcome in that household. He was raised up. He was mighty in words and deeds of the Egyptians. You can read this in Acts chapter 7 to see uh, Stephen's uh, summary of these events. And he grew up, he had access to the best. All the best food, all the best knowledge. I mean, he had it all. Right? But rather, as Hebrews would describe it, Hebrews 11, rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season, he was willing to be counted with Christ, with Christ's people, with the Hebrews, and be among them. That's what he was giving up. When he went out that day to check on his brethren... One, he knew they were his brethren and he knew that the situation was bad and he wanted to go see. He thought that he was going to be their deliverer. He thought that, wow, you know, it's kind of like Esther. You've been raised up for such a time as this. He's like, wow, I've been put into this kind of political, powerful role. I'll be the one to deliver him. So he goes out and he sees an Egyptian smiting one of his brethren, right? A Hebrew. And he looks. He doesn't see anybody around. And so he raises up his hand and he kills the Egyptian. And then he hides his body in the sand. And he thought, okay, good day's work. He goes back out the next day to check on him again and now there's two Hebrews fighting with each other. He kind of gets in the middle, of, break it up, why, why are you, your brethren, why are you fighting? Right? And the one who was the aggressor there turns to him and says, you know, who are you? Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Right? Are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian the other day? Now Moses knows two things. One, his brethren don't see him as a leader. Right? Two, they know that he's murdered somebody. <laughs> Whether it was justifiable or not doesn't matter. Pharaoh finds out about it, and Pharaoh's going to have him uh, killed. And So he has to flee. The thing is known, so he flees. He leaves Egypt. He has to run, and he runs all the way to the land of Midian, right? somewhere in between Egypt and you know south over there um, before you get to Canaan, right? somewhere out in the desert area. and That's where he's going to meet his father-in-law, Jethro, also Ruel, same person. Right? He's going to help their, his daughters, and later he's going to marry one. And so he was forty years old when he killed the Egyptian. And he's forty year old, right? When you think it's time to help these people, you're full grown. You're forty, right? This is the time, right? Man's understanding. God sends him out to the desert to go learn how to take care of sheep for forty years until he's eighty. 80 is when he sees this burning bush. Right? Liable to think that the time for me being involved in the Hebrews you know, all my people is, is probably past. Right? What can I do now? And yet as he's feeding his father-in-law's sheep described as the backside of the desert, he's over there near the mountain chain described as Horeb, specifically the mountain will later be identified as Sinai. Same, same place, same region. That's when he sees this burning bush, right, and that's when God talks to him out of the bush. Right, so that's all your context. Now I'm going to read it again. And I want you to listen to what God says. I mean, He identifies who He is—that He's the God of His fathers, right—in verse six. And Moses is afraid. There's a fear to look upon the face of God. And y'all, if we have a real understanding of God, if we come close, there should be some healthy fear in here. This is not a person. This is not something small or insignificant. This is not something you can handle. This is bigger. This is outside of creation. This is the God. And he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. Check the tense on that. I have seen. And that word surely, that's also the same word for seen. Like a saying, I have seen, seen. I have clearly seen. It was out of doubt. There's truly, I have seen what's been going on to my people. I have seen their affliction. He has observed it. He knows. I have seen the affliction of my people. Alright, that word affliction. Misery. Trouble. The depressed state. I've seen it. Your heavenly Father... Sees your misery. He sees the troubles that you're going through. He saw all the afflictions of his people there. And it had been going on for a long time. Now, I don't think it was bad when Joseph was still alive. But it says then all that generation's dead and they've multiplied and now you've got a new Pharaoh that's risen up. And it seems like this is the pharaoh in which all these afflictions are really taking place. And so it's kind of concentrated, but that's still a chunk of time where things are really, really, really bad. And you know what God didn't do? He didn't stop it immediately. All those prayers that went up from the Hebrews back then of Lord, just let the load be a little lighter. Let them not hit me today. Don't let them take my son. They weren't answered. Now God saw it, and that's important to know. And He's gonna answer the prayer, but in a way bigger than what they were asking for or what they could really comprehend. So I have seen. I have seen the misery. This is this is these are the external things that they're going through. I see what you're going through, right? I have seen it. I'm not just now becoming aware of it. I've seen it, right? I've seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. I've heard it. It's come in, and that heard means to hear intelligently. All right, it's not just like there's a, a sound out there, don't really know what it is, right? But God knew. God knew exactly what those cries meant. That word cry is shriek. This is not synonymous with just prayer. This is, I am actively being afflicted and I am crying out in pain and sorrow and wailing. Right? He sees what you're going through and he hears what you're saying, what you're reacting. He knows. In the face of your taskmaster, um, because of your taskmasters, your taskmaster, that's, that's a, literally, it's like a driver. Right? A driver of animal. Um, we call it a cowboy today, but someone who's moving things around, but In other contexts, it's a a tyrannizer. One who is making your life miserable and causing you to shriek out in pain and sorrow and anguish, right? Whether it's at the lash of a whip or the cry of a mother who just watched their child thrown in the river. There's audible cries. And in some of that, they've got to be like, Where are you? Why haven't you come? You said that we were your people. I've seen their affliction. have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. You and I can see each other's affliction. You and I can hear each other's cries. But we can't really know the sorrow. Sorrow is the pain. Sorrow is the grief. Sorrow is that which is on the inside. You and I can guess. If we have empathy and we've been through a similar situation, we can kind of have that feeling in our gut that just breaks for somebody going through that terrible situation. But even that knowledge is basically a guess. We're reliving something we have. Our Heavenly Father knows. He knows intelligently. He knows exactly exactly the internal anguish and pain and strife that we go through and that all of His children go through. He knows it. <clears throat> and in many cases, we're allowed to go through it. That's, that's part of our human experience. If you've been around the world more than a few sunrises, you know that there is pain. There is sorrow. There is anguish. Don't let the existence of that let you be bitter towards God. He's not ignoring you. You haven't fallen off as His radar. He knows. He knows what you're going through. Internally, externally, verbally. He knows it all. Better than your closest friend. Better than you could really understand. He knows it all. And verse 8 says and I am come down to deliver them. How long do you think Joseph, while he was waiting in that jail cell, said, Lord, let me out. I just want to go home. Rescue me. I didn't do anything wrong. He tells those guys their dreams, and and he's now got someone who's got the ear of Pharaoh. Hey, the one who survives... Remember me. Help me get out of here. I was wrongfully stolen from my land. I'm wrongfully thrown in here. And even he forgot him. For like another two years. God didn't forget. And God had him there for a purpose. And God had promised Abraham, you know, 160 something years earlier, that his people were going to go through this, but that he was going to bring them out specifically in the fourth generation, which Moses is the fourth generation in Levi, that he was going to bring them out. He was going to bring them into a good land, a land that he promised. And so, even as they're going through it and they're experiencing all this pain and sorrow, God's still there. He still knows. And His ways, His arc of what He's doing is much higher than what we see and what we ask for. We think about the God who can answer His prayers higher than any that we can even think or imagine. That's the idea. You cannot get your thoughts high enough to see what all He is working on. But He had told Abraham, the end result, your people are going to come, your descendants are going to come, and they're going to be in this land. And I promise you, were the lives of his descendants while they were still in Egypt really, really hard? Yeah. Well, God was still faithful. Now, all of this is foreshadowing. alright You ever heard that term foreshadowing? You should remember from my high school English. It's a literary term. Let's say if you're, you're walking down the sidewalk and the sun's behind you, what's in front of you? Shadow, Shadow Right? And so if I'm at the mailbox and you're walking down there, what am I going to see first? You or your shadow? Let's say I'm looking down. Mm-hmm. Your shadow, right? Your shadow reaches out first. Okay. Your shadow has your rough resemblance of you, but is it you? No, right? It doesn't have all the full color. It doesn't have the full details. It can be a little obscured, but it's pointing to something that's coming later, right? This deliverance of the Hebrew nation out of that's Egypt... Amazing is pointing to the great deliverance of all of God's children out of this world. Out of sin, out of sorrow, out of bondage. And at the end, and we'll talk about this later another day, but all the plagues that happened to the land of Egypt, that's foreshadowing to God wrapping up this world. But how He is going to take it and break it all down and put it away. It's all going to melt. That's kind of the kind of the last shebang. But there is a a putting away process, and that's what there's a mirror here. You've got this on a small scale, this massive deliverance that's coming, where his people are taken out of this land. And, and Egypt is synonymous with worldliness and sin and bondage. I mean, that's that's symbol symbol symbolism that's consistent throughout Scripture. All right, and so to have his people taken out from that, but in the meantime. Before Christ returns and that great day happens, we're still here. We're still in the world. We're not of the world like the Israelites were over here in Goshen, right? They're separate from the world, but they're still in the world. They're experiencing the consequences of being here and having to face that reality and that struggle. But my encouragement to you today is that God has a plan that's bigger than us. It's bigger than just, Lord, ask for this this particular slave master to be nicer to me today. right? He could have answered that prayer, but the answer is much, much, much bigger. It's the complete removal. That's what we're looking forward to when the Lord calls us and wraps this world up. All the sin, all the pain, all the sorrow, it will be put away. For forever. It won't come back. And you'll be in a good land. I will bring them up out of that land into a good land. Listen to this language in verse 8. I will come down to deliver them, and I will bring them up out of that land. Christ is going to descend, and He will bring us up, which is to ascend to to His land. That new heaven, that new earth, do I understand it all? No. Is it better than I can describe? Yes. (laughs) It's to be with Him and to be in glory. That's what we're looking forward to. It's a good land. A large land. There's room for every single one of God's children. That, that number that we looked at, the number that you cannot count. Right? That's the multitude of the Lord's people. There's room for them. It's not going to be tightly packed apartments where you're like in the city and you got like four cubic feet. Right? No, it's it's a large land. There's room for you. There's a place for you. Because the Lord went and prepared a place for you. Bring them under land flowing with milk and honey. The, the things that we need, which there I don't think we'll have very many needs, I think, to be in the presence of the Lord. That's our need. That's eternal life, is to know the Father and to know the Son. Um, that's a beautiful picture. How long had God been leading up to this deliverance? Right. And He's just getting the, the, the ball rolling here, right? right. God doesn't go, boom, and you're out. Right? right? I preserved this little baby 80 years ago and I raised him up a certain way and then I sent him out to the desert for some sheep training that's really good apt appropriate for what he's going to have to do with. is he's leading the, the people later in the wilderness right as a, as a pastor <laughs> right and now here we are 80 years since that I'm now telling him to go back and we can talk about more in depth but it's not just going to be I'm going alright we're going There's, okay see you later Right? It's a process. It's going to take a while, and by the end of it, you know, the nation of Egypt is going to be a bleeding wreck, economically, militarily, um, population. It's just going to be absolutely decimated, and it's this long process. And God already knew what He was going to do, and He had told Abraham the end result. Has God already told us in His Word the end result? Yeah. And if we can hang on to that, it makes the day-to-day stuff a whole lot more manageable. Cuz if you're just focusing on, Lord, help me get through this le- next lash of the whip. Lord, help it not sting so bad. And that can get discouraging when the next whip blow falls. Right? And you know, we have it really good. We have we have individual problems, and most of them result of, of physical health, or I mean just we have we have problems. I get that. As far as cruelty and viciousness and uh, just the things that have existed for the most of human history, we've largely been spared from that. We've been inordinately protected and hedged in from the worst of humanity. We believe in total depravity. We believe that men are inherently evil and that if left unchecked, they will do that. And that's part of the beauty of the, the government system that we're in is that it is designed to check men, right? To restrain them. It, God doesn't have to preserve that. right? He could allow us to be back like how the Christians were exposed right after Jesus' day to you believe what? Okay, you better stop saying that or I will kill you. I will take your stuff. I will whatever. There's nothing that's saying that we can't go back to that. And so our perspective is sometimes skewed. We take our, our problems, which I, I get that they are they're real, but we make them to be much, much worse than they are in the grand scheme. But the beauty is that from the teaching of the word is that the solution is not just the escape of that immediate problem. The solution is the absolute removal from all sin and sorrow altogether. That's what we're looking for. That sweet by and by that we sing about, that's what we're looking for. The full deliverance, not just a partial, not just a small. That's the mighty God that we serve. The one who, as you're going through trials and sorrows and pain today, He knows. He loves you. He cares. He'll get you through them. He's keeping you by his power. That's true. But the real answer to the deliverance from those trials is not just let me feel better or let me this go away. Lord, let me be with you. Let me be with your presence. Sometimes we get distressed by death. That's the answer to that prayer. One day the Lord's going to call us home. I'm not not saying go in advance, right? That's His his timing, right? But when He calls you home, that's great. For every child of God who knows the Lord and loves the Lord, that's great. And so, am am I sad that Brother Jerry Sr. has passed? Absolutely. For our sake. We had 60, 70 years of him as a, as a, as a preacher of the gospel. And he faithfully started, and He set a good example. Right? That's great. I'm not sorry for him. Right? He doesn't have to, to hunch over anymore. and he has, He's there uh, with uh, the woman that used to be his wife. I know we don't have spouses in heaven, but I'm sure um, the greater love, I mean, we're going to have love one for another that's beyond that of marriage of a spouse. But it's going to be great. That's what we're looking forward to. And so, my encouragement to you today is to remember that you serve a God who sees what you're going through. He hears your cries of frustration and pain and anguish and sorrow. He knows what you're going through. He knows it. We have a high priest who feels our pain. Right? It's not just an expression Jesus Christ was tempted by all the things that we are, and yet He did it without sin, and He knows what you're going through, and He's the one advocating on your behalf. You have a God that knows, intimately knows what you're going through. That's comforting to me. And we know that one day He's going to come down in His perfect timing. Is it my timing? No! Was it in Moses' timing that they were delivered? No, he was 40 years old. I'm going to do it by force, right? I can't dictate God's timing. His timing is perfect. Amen. All right? Can it be in the manner that I say? No. If it was up to Moses, there probably would have been a rebellion or a revolt. or, a rebe- hey, let's sneak out, all right? No one's looking. Let's. Right? But the way God did it, it was, it was his way. It was a boldly going out. They're not going to stop you, not a dog's are going to move their tongue against you. Right. David woke up in the middle of the night because our dog was yapping. Four o'clock in the morning. It was distressing. All right, And there's nothing there as far as I can see. So you got 600,000 men, plus their wives, plus their multitude of children leaving a land, and there's not a child going to bark. There's not a dog going to bark, right? That's a miracle in itself, right? In the grand scheme of what happens in Egypt, it's kind of a small miracle, but still. He is going to do it in the manner that he designs, and it's way bigger than anything that we could do. And they weren't going out empty-handed, right? You got refugees fleeing violence in their country and trying to come here to have safety, right? These refugees were trying to flee Egypt. They weren't going out with just clothes on their back, right? All their neighbors came over and they're like, hey, like, hey, can we borrow your silver and gold? Absolutely, here. Take it all, right? Of course, at that time, they probably really wanted him to go and they didn't know why Pharaoh was sticking around with this sore subject. right? Everything had gotten so bad. But they went out full, who could do that but God? That's way better than any prayer that they could think of. Right? And it fulfilled what God had promised. They won't go out into That's what it said back there in Genesis. We'll read that one more time and we'll wrap up. It was 15, right? Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that's not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them. And for four hundred years... And they also, that nation whom they serve, will I judge? Is God going to judge the world? Absolutely. Will there be wrath poured out upon the wicked? Yes. Of the same magnitude of the mercy that's poured out upon God's children. I will judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet. All the things that He told them were going to happen, they did happen in God's exact perfect time. How do you start counting that 400 years? I don't know, but I believe 400 years went by, right? God, God is able to do things and accomplish it exactly how He intended it, even if we can't understand it before, even if we can't understand it perfectly after. But I trust Him, and I trust His ways, and I... And that's something that we should hang on to today. You have a God worthy of your trust. He's not limited like I am. I can have a range of problems and I can only come up with a a certain set of solutions. And they may be on a various range of good to bad. God doesn't have to worry about that. God knows exactly how He's going to handle something. And odds are it's going to be way better than what I would do. I may solve the short-term band-aid problem Or he's healing the whole body, the whole universe. You have a God worthy of your trust. He knows what you're going through. He hears your cries. He knows your sorrow. And he knows how he's going to handle it. So be encouraged. That's the God that we worship this morning. Thank you for your time and attention.